Welcome, I am your host, and this is the Unanswered Questions Podcast. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of my new podcast, Unanswered Questions, where every week we will endeavour to discuss a mysterious unsolved case that has many lingering unanswered questions. So I hope you enjoy, and as always, leave me some feedback on what you think about the show, and rate it as well. Now onto the show. This week we'll be talking about the Circleville Letter Writer, very, very well-known and famous case. Since 1976, the small town of Circleville, Ohio, has been plagued by a mystery that is yet to be solved. A series of anonymous letters sent to Circleville residents claiming to know their deepest, darkest secrets and threatening to expose them to the town. These letters sent shockwaves through the town and ignited a series of events that would result in accusations of murder, adultery and other bizarre happenings. On March 3rd of 1977, a letter arrived at Westfall High School addressed to school superintendent Gordon Massey. The letter was handwritten in a distinctive block letter style and accused Massey of, amongst other things, of having an affair with a married school bus driver in Circleville. The writer told Massey to confess his affairs to the school board. The very next day, the writer sent a letter to the Westfall school board telling them about Massey's affair with one of the drivers. These letters, as well as all of the Circleville letters, were postmarked Columbus, Ohio, which is about 25 miles north of Circleville. The main target of the writer's harassment would turn out to be one of these bus drivers, Mary Gillespie. Near the start of the letter writer's campaign of harassment, Mary Gillespie found a handwritten letter in her mailbox accusing her of having an affair with Gordon Massey. In this first letter, the writer claimed that they had been observing Mary and her children and stated that everyone concerned had been notified and everything will be over soon, end quote. At this point, Mary shared the letter with her husband, Ron Gillespie, but denied she was having an affair with Gordon Massey. A short time later, in March of 1977, Ron received another letter. This this one telling him that he needed to admit that his wife was having an affair with Massey. The letter told him to inform the Westfall School Board of the affair and said that if he did not, he would be killed. Once again, the Gillespies kept this letter quiet. Two weeks later, another letter was sent to the Gillespies. Once again, the letter addressed Ron telling him, and I quote, You have had two weeks and done nothing. Make Mary admit the truth and inform the school board. End quote. At this point, both Mary and Ron had received letters threatening them and their children if Mary didn't admit to the affair with Gordon Massey. In addition to the letters, there was also phone calls to the Gillespie home and offensive signs posted along Mary's bus route. Many of these signs had offensive explicit references to the Gillespie's young daughter. From the beginning, Mary suspected the letters were being sent by David Longberry, a fellow bus driver who had expressed romantic interest in her and whom she had rejected. Determined to get to the bottom of who was writing the letters, Mary and Ron reached out to Ron's sister Karen Freshour and her husband Paul. Paul's sister was also told about the letters, but at this time, no one else knew about them. Since Mary believed David Longbury was the writer, the five of them, the Gillespies, the Fresh Hour, and Paul's sister, decided to write their own letter to David, telling him they knew he was the writer. The letters stopped for a few weeks, so they thought they'd identified the writer and put a stop to the letters. But a few weeks later, the letters resumed, and a tragedy occurred. On August 19th of 1977, Ron received a phone call at home that enraged him. He told his daughter that the call was from the letter writer, and he got his gun, ran to his truck, and drove off into the night. What was said on the phone will never be known, as only Ron knew who was on the other end. We also don't know what happened to Ron after he left, or where he went. From here, the mystery takes a sinister turn. Ron Gillespie's truck was found at 10.35pm that night, crashed into a tree, with Ron's body inside. He had died of major internal injuries. How this crash was caused remains a mystery, and has never been explained. Many Circleville residents believe that Ron's death was not an accident, it was a murder. After all, the letter writer had threatened Ron's life if he didn't expose his wife's affair. In particular, Ron's brother-in-law, Paul Freshour, believed that Ron had been murdered after uncovering the identity of the letter writer. 
There are essentially two pieces of evidence that supported the murder theory at that time, and still do. Ron was not a heavy drinker, but his blood alcohol level was 1.5 times the acceptable amount. However, his family told police he hadn't drunk any alcohol that day, so when had he had a drink and where is unknown. Ron's gun was found under his body, and it appeared that one round had been fired sometime between when he left his house and his body was found. What he shot at, or when the gun was fired, has never been ascertained. This only deepened the mystery. The sheriff at the time, DeWitt Radcliffe, originally suspected foul play was involved in Ron's death, and there was even a person of interest in the case who was interviewed and given a polygraph test, which they passed. The person of interest in this case has never been publicly identified. But after the coroner, Dr. Ray Carroll, examined the body and found a high amount of blood alcohol level, Sheriff Radcliffe changed his mind and believed Ron's death was an accident caused by drunk driving. This did not sit well with Ron's family and friends. They pointed out that he was not a big drinker and had not consumed alcohol on the day of his death. This turn of events also displeased the Circleville letter writer who sent a letter after Ron's death accusing Sheriff Dwight Radcliffe of covering up the crime. After Ron's death, the harassment continued with letters being sent not to just Mary but to citizens around town, to the newspaper, to local businesses, to schools, basically to everyone in Circleville. But apparently Sheriff Radcliffe had no motivation to cover up a possible murder as he was running for president of the National Sheriff's Association, and a town plagued by not only an unhinged writer, but one who turned to murder wouldn't be a good look for the president of this organisation. The letter writer was also frustrated by the lack of investigation into the case, and wrote letters claiming that Sheriff Radcliffe was covering up the truth of Ron's death. Letters also accused Dr Carroll, the coroner, of sexual abuse of young children. Other residents were scared since the letter writers seemed completely unhinged and knew details of their lives that a stranger should have no way of knowing. Meanwhile, Paul Freshour continued to insist that Ron had been murdered and even filed a report requesting that the FBI investigate Ron's death. And though Mary had always denied having an affair with Gordon Massey while her husband was alive, really, really oddly, after his death, she and Massey did begin a romantic relationship. At this point, the threats against her became more vicious, including explicit threats against Mary's daughter. On February 7th of 1983, Mary was driving a school bus near Five Points Pike when she saw a sign posted along a nearby fence. The sign was handwritten and included an obscene message about Mary's 12-year-old daughter. Mary pulled over and attempted to remove the sign, but when she pulled on it, she saw that it was attached to a box with some twine. Mary decided to take the box home, and when she opened it, she found a gun inside. Mary brought the box to the sheriff's office who determined the box was a booby trap that had been designed to fire the gun when the sign was pulled down. For some reason, the booby trap did not trigger when Mary removed the sign. This booby trap became the first real break in the case. An amateurish attempt was made to rub off the serial number of the gun. When lab tests were able to raise the number, it was determined that the gun had belonged to Paul Freshour, who had recently separated from Ron's sister. Paul admitted the gun was his, but claimed it had gone missing weeks before and denied setting the trap. He also had not reported the gun missing prior to this, so there was no evidence to support this claim. The sheriff's office then told Paul to copy one of the Circleville letters and try to emulate the handwriting of the letter, a practice that is not proper procedure when comparing handwriting. You Usually, the suspect is asked to write a sample in his own handwriting, not attempt to copy the handwriting. In addition to the handwriting sample, Paul Freshour failed a polygraph test, and his ex-wife Karen told police he was behind the letters to Mary. Karen was the first to link Paul to the letters. But as with everything with this case, there's more to the story. Karen and Paul had recently gone through an acrimonious divorce after Karen cheated on Paul. Paul was awarded custody of their three children, and Karen ended up living in a trailer in Mary Gillespie's backyard. So Karen certainly seems to have a motive for framing Paul. She also would have had access to his gun. And despite telling police that she had access to the letters, including letters Paul had written and not mailed, she could not produce any of these, telling police that she had disposed of them. There is cause for some speculation that Karen may have been involved in setting up 
Paul Freshour as she had a motive due to domestic divorce and her losing everything and certainly her behaviour, which I'll go into later, was cause for concern and I think personally she warranted a good look at. As for additional evidence connecting Paul to the booby trap, there was none. Paul had an alibi for the day the booby trap was set. He was at home because there was work being done on his house. Paul also fully cooperated with law enforcement and was only connected to the letters based on an accusation from his ex-wife after a very contentious divorce. Using Karen's testimony, the copied letters, the failed polygraph, and the fact that the gun in the box was registered to Paul Freshour, he was charged with attempted murder of Mary Gillespie. Paul was never charged with sending any of the letters, but they were used as evidence against him in his trial. There was also no physical evidence connecting Paul to either the letters or the booby trap, but he was somehow convicted of attempted murder and sentenced to 7 to 25 years in prison. At this point, it seemed as though the mystery of the Circleville letter writer had been solved. The only problem was this theory. The letters continued even after Paul Freshour was imprisoned. Even Paul himself received a letter, this one stating, and I quote, Now when are you going to believe you aren't going to get out of there? I told you two years ago, when we set them up, they stay set up. Don't you listen at all? End quote. Now, clearly, it is possible for people in prison to write and send letters, so the prison took numerous measures to ensure that Paul could not write these letters while in prison. These measures included putting Paul in solitary confinement, where he had no access to pen, paper, or the mail. And yet, letters continued to be sent during this time. Repeated sweeps of Paul Freshour's cell showed no evidence that he wrote any of these letters in prison. He was regularly strip-searched, and all of his incoming and outgoing mail was examined. Eventually, the prison warden wrote a letter to Paul's ex-wife, Karen, telling her that it was impossible that Paul was writing these letters from his cell. Additionally, Paul Freshour was imprisoned in Lima, Ohio, but all the letters dating back from the first letters sent in 1976 were postmarked in Columbus, Ohio, so it is not clear how the letters sent from a prison in Lima to Circleville would be postmarked Columbus. In 1993, the television show Unsolved Mysteries was set to air a segment on the Circleville letter writer. Prior to the filming of this episode, the producers of the show received a postcard that said, and I quote, Forget Circleville, Ohio. If you come to Ohio, you our sickos will pay. The Circleville Letter Writer. End quote. The producers were undertoured and the segment was filmed and broadcast, including an interview with Paul Freshour, who had just been released on parole. This postcard was one of the final communications sent from the Circleville Letter Writer, and no new letters were sent after 1994. In August of 2021, the CBS show 48 Hours aired an episode that they claimed definitively identified the Circleville letter writer through forensic document examination. CBS hired a document examiner, Beverly East, who compared the Circleville letter to Paul Freshour's known handwriting. She found numerous links between the letter writer's handwriting and Paul's handwriting, especially in the formation of his numbers. East said there were patterns in the anonymous letters that did not match Paul's handwriting, but found more than 100 quirks of Paul's writing that did match. However, not all of the experts agree that Paul Freshour is responsible for writing the letters. Former FBI profiler Mary Allen O'Toole does not believe there is enough evidence to state that Paul was the letter writer. In particular, O'Toole points to the letters that were sent while Paul was in prison. Since it was physically impossible for Paul to write and send those letters, it seems clear that there has to be another person involved. It should be noted that there were not just a couple of letters sent during the 10 years of Paul's incarceration, but there were literally hundreds of letters sent to people all over central Ohio. O'Toole also believes that the letters were written by a female writer and that the letter writer was not well educated. Paul Freshour had three college degrees including a master's degree. So despite the claims of 48 hours, it is clear that they did not in fact definitively identify the letter writer. The question of who wrote the letters, who set the booby trap for Mary Gillespie and whether Ron Gillespie died as a result of an accident or foul play has yet to be answered, even 45 years later. Now, 
Here's some very interesting additional information about the Circle Rule Letter Writer case that I think is very interesting. So, to start off with, Paul Freshour was released on parole in 1994 after spending 10 years in prison. He maintained his innocence until his death in 2012 at the age of 70. After his release, he maintained a website dedicated to professing his innocence. Now, here's a few things about some people in this case that I think are interesting. So, Dr. Ray Carroll, the county coroner who claimed that Ron Gillespie died with a back of 1.5 times the legal limit of alcohol in his system, and who was accused by the Circleville letter writer of child molestation was charged with 12 counts of gross immorality, sex crimes, corruption of a minor, pornography, obscenity and indecent exposure in December of 1993. David Longbury, the school bus driver Mary Gillespie originally suspected of writing the letters back in 1977 raped an 11-year-old girl in 1999. He then went on the run and is still currently a fugitive and has never been found. The letter writer also made accusations against Roger Klein, the prosecutor who helped to convict Paul Freshour, but those are a bit harder to confirm. Specifically, he was accused of having an affair with a schoolteacher and then having her murdered when he found out she was pregnant. But despite some Randall couple in Ohio confirming the story to a news TV station, there is literally no evidence of this. Klein became an appellate court judge before retiring in 2013. While Paul was serving his time in prison, a fellow school bus driver of Mary's came forward and said they'd seen a large man with sandy hair in a yellow El Camino standing at the side of the booby trapped sign on February 7th of 1983, about 20 minutes before Mary found the sign. When the bus driver passed by, the man turned away from her so she could not see his face. Paul Freshour has dark hair and is not a large man, so he was clearly not the man that was seen by the bus driver. Karen, Paul's ex-wife, was, however, dating a man who was large and sandy-haired. Her brother also drove an El Camino. The really interesting thing, though, and the really kind of odd thing was, police chose not to follow up on this tip, which I don't know why. You've got a perfectly good lead to follow and an avenue to go down and you refuse to follow it. Another odd element of this case is the glaring absence of Gordon Massey from all the reporting of the events. The most viral letters were sent to or about Massey. The sign that was booby-trapped included a message that Mary's 12-year-old daughter was involved in a sexual relationship with Massey. Massey was also the target of the early letters, and despite Mary Gillespie's denial of an affair with Massey, the two did have a romantic relationship after Ron's death. And yet there's very little information about Massey available. Despite the huge amounts of information for many of the other people involved in the case, Massey was a well-respected member of the Circleville community and was married with a son. He died in 1996. What I'm interested in is how did the letter writer find out about the supposed information because I highly doubt that these people would shout from the hilltops their involvement in such disgusting crimes. In a confusing letter to the Grove City Police Chief James R. McKean on March 16th of 1992, a second anonymous writer printing in small rather than capital letters identified the letter writer as a teacher named Mary. The letter writer added that the same man who killed Ronald Gillespie in 1977 also killed Pickaway County school teacher Vicky Koch in 1980. Koch's murder remains unsolved. The letter writer went on to explain the complicated process. So the way I understand it was Mary supposedly used to print her letters and claimed that there was many booby traps at the schools that can't be known or public. A Circleville teacher was killed for knowing too much. Please don't let them use or trick you. Confirm the booby traps at the schools. Write a letter and I will give you more. Unfortunately, the letter writer didn't say where a letter should be sent. McKeenan said his department could find no evidence to back a claim and McKeenan said his department could find no evidence to back a claim made in a third unsigned letter received by a Grove City Police Sergeant. The letter said signs have been placed on the walls of area restaurants warning that a waitress would be killed as a mean of gaining attention. In addition, the letter, which was in the original block printing style, claimed Teacher Koch was killed at the request of a Pickaway County official who she was pregnant with 
The letter also said that appeals court judge William Harsh of Portsmouth was involved in a graveyard scandal that will cause all Harsh's early graves. No letters have been sent since 1994 and a number of the people involved in the case have since died and yet no one has ever come forward with any information about the Circleville letter writer. So it seems that this is one mystery that may never be solved. Now, another very interesting fact that I thought I would bring up is Paul Freshour actually wrote a letter to the FBI and wrote down a lot of facts about the case. I know some of these I am going to repeat, so I do apologize for that, but I thought that it'd be interesting to kind of get Paul's perspective on things and how he saw things from his point of view. So Paul Freshour, in his letter to the FBI, outlined several interesting facts about the case. So these are the facts that can be confirmed. So number one, and this is all from the letter that Paul wrote to the FBI. So number one, I believe that the obscene, threatening, and dangerous letters were concealed because they would interfere with Sheriff Radcliffe becoming the National Sheriff's Association president. See the date of the letters and the date of his involvement with the National Sheriff's Association. The crime rate in Pickaway County at the time would have eliminated him from this appointment. Two, no one has ever been indicted or charged with the obscene, threatening, and dangerous letters which often contained arsenic poison. I believe every letter constituted an attempt murder charge, yet no charge or indictments were ever made. They have had 26 years to solve this crime. Hopefully you can get the letter crime solved. Three, the Department of Corrections confirmed that for the ten and a half years I was imprisoned under strict investigations, that I was completely cleared of the obscene and threatening letters. See Department of Corrections for the State of Ohio. Four, Sheriff Radcliffe lied in the media and claimed he caught many people smuggling letters for me. Please confirm this. This was a lie. Five, confirm the obscene, threatening, and dangerous letters claimed a prosecutor had a school teacher pregnant and murdered because it will destroy his law enforcement career that he worked hard to achieve. He completed law school and then went on as an attorney, a prosecutor, judge, and now an appeals court judge. This murder has never been solved. I'm sure it never will be if the obscene, threatening, and dangerous letters are true because Judge Klein had too much power and protection from our legal system here in Ohio. 6. All forensic evidence was denied being given to me and this should be confirmed and questioned. Why? 9. Confirmed Sheriff Radcliffe kept the school superintendent's divorce out of the media because it might have affected him because of the rumors of his affair with a school employee which had been reported in the obscene and threatening letters. Through investigation, the sheriff was going to claim this was done in order to catch the letter writer who was going to call and question why Massey's divorce was never in the media. The sheriff always covered his tracks. The obscene and threatening letters contain some interesting facts, which which just how one person was able to collect and find out all this information remains disputed, and more than one letter writer theory comes into play. The letter claimed Dr. Carroll, the Pickaway County coroner, molested many children and, like Gordon Massey and Mary Gillespie affair, as reported, were untrue and a lie per Sheriff Radcliffe's investigation. It was true. He missed this molestation also, yet many came forth later and admitted Dr. Carroll molested them. The prosecutor claimed the statute of limitations applied and he was never charged. He moved to Florida. In fact, a local Columbus, Ohio TV station visited him and did in fact confirm this. Dr. Carroll didn't do a day and the letters were true. Had Sheriff Radcliffe done his job, the molested children could have sued and got big money because many children suffered because of this and deserved to be granted money. I'm sure Dr. Carroll had a bunch of money because the corrupt always do. How did Sheriff Radcliffe's investigations miss this? Is it because the coroner covered up things for Sheriff Radcliffe and Klein? Letters claimed baby bones from a dead baby's grave would be dug up and mailed at random if outside investigations did not get involved in Judge Roger Klein's murder of a pregnant school teacher. While the Pickaway County Sheriff visited the parents of the dead baby and pled for them not to tell anyone about this, they talked to the local Columbus, Ohio TV station who confirmed this is true. Letters to Ronald Gillespie were sent saying that if he didn't inform the West Falls School Board about his wife's affair with Gordon Massey, that he would be killed. They knew his truck and where he lived, and yes, Ronald was killed a short time later, as I went into. On the night of Ron 
Collins' murder, he received a telephone call, argued with someone, ran upstairs, got his gun, kissed his little girl goodbye, and was dead a short time later. I'm positive his grown daughter will remember this. Should she not, I'm sure others do. While the sheriff's investigation showed Ron was struck and hit a tree, anyone who knew Ron knew this was untrue. The truck was totaled, taken to a certified filling station in Mount Sterling, Ohio, and immediately disposed of at a junkyard. Unsolved mysteries asked Sheriff Radcliffe about the bullet missing. However, he would not respond or comment about it. Ron had fired his gun. Letters claim Roger Klein, now appellate court judge, had a school teacher pregnant and murdered because he knew it would destroy his career. He did do very well confirming how Judge Klein handled my trial, denied me discovery of the letters for trial preparation, yet referred to the letter throughout at the trial. He, for some reason, controlled the obscene and threatening letters. In fact, Sheriff Radcliffe kept contacting the prisons and even visiting them because there were many, many letters still circulating after my incarceration, and Sheriff constantly claimed it was me from prison. Paul Freshell also talked about his ex-wife, who sounded like a real handful. He stated that his ex-wife assisted Sheriff Radcliffe in obtaining evidence against him. His ex-wife, for some reason, was the one who contacted and threatened Unsolved Mysteries, and even one of the Unsolved Mysteries segment researchers who was pregnant, causing a problem due to his ex-wife's threats. His ex-wife assisted Sheriff Radcliffe while they were in the process of divorce, confirms the evidence she took to Sheriff Radcliffe was completely cleared. But while Paul Freshell was convicted of setting the booby trap intended to kill Mary Gillespie, in part based on the anonymous letters, neither he nor anyone else has ever been charged with writing the Circleville letters. Additionally, Paul Freshell's conviction was based solely on circumstantial evidence, and while Paul's conviction relied on the idea that he was the letter writer, and the letter writer and the person who set the booby trap were one and the same, it is impossible that he is responsible for the hundreds of letters that were sent while he was in prison. One theory of the letters is that there were multiple letter writers, not just one. This would explain how the letter writer knew secrets about such a large group of people. Literally hundreds of people in central Ohio received these letters, as well as how the letters continued after Paul Freshour was in prison. While it's unlikely that there would be numerous letter writers who all managed to keep this huge secret for over 40 years, it's not possible to rule out. With that, this case remains open, but with many unanswered questions that still remain unanswered. I'm your host, and this has been the Unanswered Questions Podcast. Until next time. Next on Unanswered Questions. That was the final episode of Season 1. We will be taking a short hiatus, and then we'll be right back in a few weeks with Season 2. Stay tuned.